Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Hi, how are you going? Hello, my apologies. I was engrossed in Senate estimates. Okay. <laughs> and it Fair literally enough. Just, it, it just broke for a break, so. Ah, Senate estimates for pharmacy? Yep, so that is for um, pulling apart the 60-day dispensing. So what happens there is that the... The senators, and I think MPs, maybe they've got their own version, can uh, grill the minister and the minister's staff. And there's five or six senior staff who run the department. And quite frankly, they do not understand this at all. It's good to watch. It's good to watch democracy in action. If you're going to in, if you're going to introduce this policy to the Senate as part of the budget. Um, legislative submission, whatever document they have to get through the Senate, there is a process for asking questions. Yesterday was talking about some of the doctor's stuff. Um, there's some economic stuff later today, but right on right now was the, they called it community um, uh, community matters, of which healthcare and pharmacy was considered a community matter. So, Brilliant. So is it okay if I start by getting you to introduce yourself, please? Uh, hello, Colleen. Uh, my name is Andrew Topp. I am a pharmacist and have been a pharmacist for 30 plus years. And I'm currently the chief pharmacist with Capital Chemist. And I work in a CEO type environment, supporting our 45 pharmacies to be excellent healthcare providers for our communities. Thank you. Um, I thought I'd ask you what your thoughts were about the lack of consultation about the 60-day dispensing as evidenced by the Office of Impact Analysis report. Uh, it's pretty gobsmacking, isn't it, that this can be dreamed up as a concept, obviously a long time ago without us being aware of it, and then landed in pharmacy's lap with literally a few weeks to... Um, work out how they're going to handle the impacts, but right down to the granular level, how are patients going to access methadone? How is that going to work? How is How are we going to be able to pivot to be able to provide the extra services without having the staff to do it because our funding's been cut in half? How are we going to be able to build the infrastructure that's expensive and costs money when there's no viable stream of income from the dispensary to support that? The Office of Impact Assessments, that analysis was embarrassing and I think was retro, was written to retrofit the policy. It doesn't talk about aged care. It hardly touches on methadone. The, the, the vulnerable people that are going to be impacted by this and the response of pharmacy to what is an enormous hole in their trading income that is used to run their pharmacies and provide services, it's obvious that that was written by an incompetent person who doesn't understand. And just today I was watching Senate estimates and I fear that some of those people might be running our Department of Health. What do you think are some, you've just mentioned a couple, but what are some of the issues that pharmacists and pharmacies will have arising from these announcements? Uh, 
aged care has to be the sleeper. And I, I refer to the 200,000 people that live in an aged care facility, but also the 800,000 people that are ageing at home with support from multiple parts of the healthcare system, including community pharmacy. I was just doing some sums on, let, let, let's compare uh, a 50-year-old male whose name might be Andrew, who might take one blood pressure medicine and one cholesterol medicine, and he's going to have his medication costs halved. Great. Love the policy. Fantastic. He's got a bit of disposable income. He, you know, he will win from this. His mother, though, who may or may not be named Frances, who is ageing at home, who is a little bit fragile, you know, she's ageing pretty well for early 80s, but she needs a bit of support to do hers. She gets no saving over the course of a year because she's a safety net patient. Her previously free deliveries will now be $10 per fortnight and her Webster packs, which were a nominal $5, will now be $13.50. And all of a sudden she's out of pocket $922 or something was the sums I worked out as a, I believe, a legitimate case for the inequality of this policy because pharmacy can't lose 18 or 20% of their prescription volume and the income associated with that and not respond with some fairly profound changes in what we do, when we do it, and how much we charge for it. Uh, because it is the difference between viability and non-existence. We know there will be pharmacies that do not survive this. Can you tell me more about some of the changes that you see might that might happen in pharmacies as a result of the 60-day dispensing? Uh, absolutely, I can. We, by, by sheer fluke of the timing, we had our little sort of twice annual mini conference uh, the week after it was announced. And I've got to be honest, there was talk about whether that was the right thing to do. And then we realised this is such a profound, massive impact. We need to get together and plan. Um, we were lucky. We've got a pretty powerful point of sale system. We'd done our own analysis, which I'm going to say led to a degree of um, angst and in some cases tears from partners when they realised what a massive impact it would have. And for our group, it's about it's a whole of between nine and $14 million. Um, the very easy sums there are, well, that's about one quarter of our annual payroll. So one in three, one in four of our staff will go. But that's a bit simplistic because that's one of the levers that we can pull. But as a full service model, we need staff to be able to do things for patients to vaccinate, to support, to counsel, to advise, to screen, diagnose, refer, all the things that we do all the time. So cutting staff is absolutely on the list of things that will happen. And sadly, it's already started happening. I never thought I would have to seek guidance on the process for redundancy. Um, but that's now something that we have to come to terms with over coming months. Um, trimming expenses for, like wages, also trimming expenses. And it literally will get down to, does staff get a birthday cake? I know that's trivial, but that's one of the expenses that we can trim. Staff amenities. I want staff to be comfortable coming to work, to feel happy, to be feel valued and feel loved. And sometimes that means they get a birthday cake. Well, that might go, and I find that really, really sad. A member benefits program might go. Um, the paradox, our staff assistance, uh, EAP assist, so staff wellness and counselling service, which is bloody expensive. 
that might have to go, although I do note that the Guild has set one up which we'll be able to access. Um, we had some recycling programs in pharmacies, that will have to go. Um, the next upgrade for pharmacies who are looking to renovate, that'll be delayed, might not ever happen because they're expensive. I mean, we've just had spectacular refit at Capital Chemist Waniasa that finished two days prior to the announcement. Because it involved uh, some access to some new space, which was quite a profound um, degree of refit, spectacular robot, it cost almost a million dollars to build that pharmacy. Capital Chemist Dixon is doing similar, $600,000. That's, that's, that's going, that's gone. Um, those, the next pharmacy that needs to renovate just won't be able to afford it. So there's the expense side of things. But then there's the price side of things. You know, we're relatively limited in what we can charge when it comes to the PBS. Um, patient co-payments are capped, always have been, and so they should be. But there's a lot of things that we do that will have no choice but to go up in price. So our DAA fees, our leave certificate charges, our, our private vaccinations, um, noting that there'll be a bit, bit of movement from people into the underfunded NIP program. Um, our private prescriptions are absolutely going to go up. We've got that process underway. That takes time. Um, our OTC margins will have to increase. So if you need a non-subsidised over-the-counter medicine, I'm sorry, but you're going to cost more. It's they're going to cost more. Um, all of those things are the income side of things. And whilst we can sort of put a value on them and work out whether they can, how much they contribute to filling the gap in income that we're losing because of government cuts. It's very clear that that will only be part of it. So then we go back to the staffing side of things and it's going to be a combination of all of those things. Um, I like to think that we already operate pretty smartly uh, as, as, as a group. Um, we will have to operate smarter. We will have to be, uh, what's the word? A little bit less, We'll have to be harsher in our stores. We will have to say no to people. And that really, really hurts. And I was speaking to one of the pharmacists uh, down at Marimbula on the South Coast, and she'd come up to Canberra on her way to Sydney. And that morning she'd been working and she'd done a couple of free blood pressure tests. She'd removed ticks from the necks of two children. Um, she'd had one person that she had to refer to hospital and one person that she told go home and take some Panadol. So that's six episodes of service. Moving forward, either those services won't take place or they'll be provided at a cost or they will be referred to the hospital. Now, in this case, one person was referred to the hospital, but with a reduction in staff, with a reduction in availability, with a reduced workforce, with an inability to do those sorts of things, six people will be going to hospital because we're talking a country town. So the chances of seeing a doctor let alone a bulk billing doctor, are zero. Um, and the pharmacy, which in particularly in rural areas, is the source of basic health care, that ceases to exist. I really, really hope the government understands what they're doing. I suspect they do not. They seem to have no concept of what pharmacists do. I noted that you mentioned that um, two days ago you were up on the hill and you've just mentioned the senator estimates. So I thought I'd find out about what you've heard in the political landscape recently about the perceptions of pharmacists and about the 60-day dispensing. Well, it would be wrong to suggest that just because I live in Canberra, I have all of these um, tentacles of contact into Parliament House, except I do know my local member. I have met the three 
members in uh, the lower house in Canberra. I know them all by name. I think two of them would know me by name. Um, I've met both of our ACT senators. Uh, it's there, there is strict party lines here. If you're on the left of the Labor Party, you actually, if you see me coming, you walk away. You don't want to have that conversation with me or with a with a white coat. Um, if you're a centre or a right faction, you actually probably do acknowledge that there's grave concerns and grave fears for pharmacy viability, for patient access and for access to healthcare. Um, but because of the way the Labor Party runs, I believe you're not allowed to actually speak your mind. Um, I would say that right here and right now, there are some cracks forming and there's been some newspaper headlines that support that. Um, but I, whilst I am fascinated by politics and am horrified to see how the sausage is made when it comes to legislation and policy, um, I don't know where this one's going to end up. Um, the government might accept a couple of years of absolute carnage, which would be devastating to anybody who's vulnerable or anybody in aged care or opioid replacement patients. I, I, I just can't believe that the government, well, that the, the department and the government think that we're making it up and that our concerns aren't valid. They are absolutely valid. Some of them seem to get it. And dare I say that maybe on the opposition, they get it because it's politically expedient to be able to argue back to the government about this dreadful policy. I do wonder if they might do exactly the same thing if they are in power. But at the moment, we do seem to have some friends on the in the libs and at least some level of understanding in the crossbenchers. Thank you. You've mentioned um, opioid supply a couple of times. Um, what do you see happening as a result of the current changes? An absolute disaster. So, noting that many, I think 2,000 pharmacies in Australia do opioid replacement therapy. I know you and I have been working in a pharmacy where it was part of the part of the um, the, the, the routine of the day. Um, for some pharmacies, it's two patients. For some pharmacies, it's 100 patients. But every single patient needs a pharmacist who is 100% focused. I said to a senator yesterday, you know, two mils of methadone to a, the wrong patient could kill them. And it's not like you've mislabeled a packet and you can get it back. They've taken that dose and they are now in the middle of a potentially fatal healthcare crisis. So having a pharmacist who is worked to the bone, who is busier because he's being distracted by all the other things that are happening without the staff to support him, that is a potential disaster. But when you start sort of looking at all the services that you offer and working out whether or not you whether or not they're viable, and you realise that actually methadone today is probably not viable. It probably is run at, at, at a loss um, as a service to the community. Um, and so you sort of, you lift up the carpet, the corner of the carpet, and you think, oh, I don't really like what I see. And then you think, well, there's less funding coming from uh, 1 July, if that's when it starts. And it's inevitable that people will will cease to dose methadone. We've already had um, pharmacies notify patients that the hours that methadone is available will, will be reduced because of the staffing levels. I know there are pharmacies who are actively considering giving it up. And I know that there are probably some very worried people in drug and alcohol because where will those patients go? Um, I know 
going back to the country town I used to work in, there was some methadone available from one of the hospitals. That was a 45-minute drive, and it was available between 12 and 1. That's it. So if you wanted to have a job, if you wanted to study or anything like that, you couldn't. You had to be dosed in community because of access, but that's become unviable. That is a tragedy beyond belief. And it's just unfathomable that this policy is starting on the 1st of July with no real clarity on what it might look like. And I do know that pharmacy does have a habit of just making things work, but, geez, a bit of consultation, guys, a bit of forward planning, a bit of why don't we talk to pharmacists and see how methadone actually does work in real life. The original... Uh, uh, understanding of the department was that every methadone patient has their own one litre bottle of methadone in the safe and that we dispense from that specifically for each person. Everybody knows that methadone is a, a, a virtual bottle, for want of a better word, um, and it's accounted for to the mill by patient by day. Um, the department had no idea about that. That's just, that's incompetent. Um, what are your views about what it might mean for patients in the short term and the long term as well? Short term, they're going to pay more. Long term, they're going to pay more and they're going to have less access. There's going to be um, a reduction in trading hours. We've already seen that. We've had, we've got staff being made redundant in preparation for it. And I've had people turn around and say, that's ridiculous. These changes haven't even happened yet. Well, if you see the train coming at you through the tunnel and you know it's going to hit, you have no choice but to start reacting now. Um, if you've got hours of trade that are non-viable, you're starting to review those, you're cutting them. If you've got staff who, what we've seen so far is staff who perhaps are a little bit limited in their skill set, um, who can only do one thing, a cleaner, for example, they're gone. Um, a nurse who was specifically uh, hired to vaccinate, they're gone. The pharmacist will continue with the vaccinations, but the pharmacist has a skill set that allows them to do multiple things. Um, Anybody who can't work the hours, you know, typically if somebody, a uni student, for example, needs to change their hours because of their, uh, their their course load, and there's always been a little bit of flexibility in that, that's out the window because I need that hour to be productive. I don't need you in that hour. You can't work in that hour. Therefore, you're gone. These are really sad conversations and really hard conversations, but it's going to happen hundreds of times in our group and thousands of times around the country over the coming months. What advice do you have to pharmacists about what they can do now to challenge 60-day dispensing or give more information to like what what advice okay, do you so have? The, the first thing I would say is this is real. This is a risk to our viability. It's a risk to our profession. And if we do nothing, in five years' time, pharmacy will be decimated and might not even take five years. Um, doing nothing is not an option. You need to be engaged. You need to be in your politicians' faces. You need to be asking them for follow-up, asking them to answer. You need to turn up at their offices. You need to email. You need to social media. You need to get patients involved. Patients need to understand. You need to talk to your drug and alcohol service. You need to talk to your aged care facilities. You need to talk to your patient support groups who look after homeless people or, 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 or mental health patients and make them understand that the services that you provide are going to stop or are going to be charged at a recovery cost. And that is quite substantial. Doing nothing and thinking that you'll ride this out is a, just a guarantee that in five years time, you'll be bankrupt. 
that counts whether you're a big pharmacy, whether you're a service model pharmacy, whether you're a small pharmacy, whether you're a discounter. The hole in our income that is used to provide pharmacy operations is too big to absorb. So you will have no choice but to change. And you should be doing that now. You need to start the process now. You need to get smarter. You need to, sadly, you need to work harder. Um, you, you need to change your pricing structure. You need to look at every minute of staffing. You need to review what services you offer and decide, actually, that's not viable. I'm going to stop that. And you need to be doing that now. Just waiting and hoping that some common sense comes. No, you can't do that. If we get common sense, great. But you need a plan. That was my next question to ask what advice you have for pharmacists about how they can prepare potentially for 60 day dispensing. Well, they need a plan. I was really pleased that at least version one of our plan was in existence within 10 days of the um, of the announcement. Uh, you, you need a plan, but you also need accountability. It's all very well to write it down, but if nobody's doing it, then it doesn't really count. You, you, you're just going with the status quo. Status quo is not adequate in this situation. Um, you need action. You need change. You need to drive it. You need to support your staff. Your staff, I guarantee, are feeling no end of angst. And it's a little bit bipolar. Um, publicly, we might be angry and shouting from the rooftops and shaking arms at politicians in parliament. But privately, we need to work on the plan. We will need some of our staff to help us with this. Sadly, some of our staff may not make the cut. Um, but you need to provide reassurance to your key staff that, look, we do have a way forward. Um, but it's going to be a very different path. And it's tragically, it's a path that none of us expected to be on six months ago. Um, what are your thoughts about the aged care funding now coming through community pharmacy? Well, let's just be very, very clear. Boots on the ground in aged care facilities is only 40 years overdue. Should have been, it just should have been part of that, um, part of that uh, industry from day one. Um, but providing quality use of medicine support, training, patient review is quite separate from the micromanaging that is done to provide services to aged care supply. You take that amount of funding out of um, aged care uh, dispensing fees and you will absolutely have impacts on supply. And there are pharmacies who are just either they're going to have to transfer the cost to the facility, and I know that the facility's response to that has been, no, we're not paying, or it goes to the patient. And all of a sudden you have Australia's most vulnerable people paying more for the medication services. That's a great policy, Elbow. Well done, you. Fantastic. And I thought I would ask, so 60-day dispensing does affect many more people than pharmacists and patients, such as interns, wholesalers, locums, banks, the pharmaceutical industry. Just thought I'd ask about your thoughts about that. Uh, so I'm genuinely concerned for the pharmacy students at the moment. Um, I have communicated with the two universities that we're close with to reassure them that we are going to need interns um, and that, you know, we want them to come and work with us now as students and in future as interns. Um, but I've also heard that there's people now opting out of, you know, they're in their first year and they're changing. Universities are losing enrolments. I don't have any numbers on that and it's anecdotal, but that's, that is absolutely tragic. You take that 
cohort of up and coming professionals out of the industry and we're stuffed. I know wholesalers are concerned. There was um, a little bit of dissatisfaction amongst some pharmacists that the wholesalers were relatively silent on it, or at least one wholesaler was. My argument there is wholesalers are invisible. Even the politicians don't know what wholesalers do. If you ask the public, what's the role of a pharmacy wholesaler, they just look at you and say, what's that? Um, I know that all wholesalers were in communications with their contacts within the department and with politicians, and they have continued to do that, um, and that they genuinely share the concerns about medicine shortages, which seems to have fallen on deaf ears to a certain extent. I work in supply chain logistics. I spend my entire life sourcing product that's hard to get for our pharmacies. Um, the impact analysis report says there'll be supply chain pressures for pharmacies, wholesalers and suppliers. The wholesalers say there will be. I had a phone call the following morning from suppliers saying, what do we need to do? And I said, I don't know. I genuinely don't know how this is going to be enacted or operate. Everybody who's in that supply chain knows that there will be supply chain problems. They, they exist today. I did some numbers the other day. There have been 1,015 product shortages in 2023. Yes, there's a list with 400 products on it today, but that's how big the list has been in five months of this year. Um, that is just going to get worse. Wastage will increase. Um, it's just unthinkable that this is going to be enacted and there won't be supply chain challenges because there is already supply chain challenges. They will just be worse. I thought I'd ask what sentiments you have for pharmacists. Um, Sorry, say again. Um, what sentiments you might have for pharmacists at this time? Maintain the rage. Be angry. Be Feel betrayed. Tell them politely. We must be polite. Tell them politely the impacts that this is going to have on their constituents, our patients. Privately, be calm. There is things that we can do. And you need to do them and you need to plan and you'll need support to do them and you'll need your groups to help you do them. You'll need your colleagues, your staff to help you do them. But you can't just do nothing. If you sit on your laurels and think, oh, we've survived worse, this will pass. No, this is so much bigger than anything we have had to deal with. This is so much bigger than price disclosure, so much bigger than any of the changes that have been inflicted on pharmacy in decades past. It is huge. It is industry changing and it is viability threatening. My two genuine concerns, aging Australians in care or at home and opioid replacement patients, two of the most vulnerable groups in Australia who have been ignored in this, it is a disaster. And I've heard the word carnage. In those two industries, those two sectors, it is carnage. That is what's coming and we can see it. We know it's gonna happen. You're nodding at me. I know you know what's going to happen. And these idiots that are making decisions with the future of millions of Australians refuse to hear it. I don't know if it's incompetence. I don't know if it's malevolence. I don't know if it's just ignorance. But it's unthinkable what's coming. And my only other question, what do you think it says about pharmacists? I guess the view of pharmacy and the view of pharmacists. Just the whole policy and how it's been enacted? Well, I think we've seen uh, 
the level of misunderstanding of what pharmacy does through all sectors of the community. And look, I understand why patients thinking this is going to be half the price or twice as much. It, it is impossible to argue against that as a good thing from a patient's hip pocket perspective. And actually, quite frankly, 60 day dispensing, halving medication costs, whatever combination of things saves money for patients is a good thing. And nobody can say that pharmacy's been obstructionist when it comes to saving money. The $30 UG copay from January, that was a pharmacy policy. It was picked up by the Labor Party as an election promise, but that started with us. Um, price disclosure was run by us. Saving money on generic medicines is run by us. The safety net is run by pharmacy because let's face it, the government couldn't possibly run the safety net efficiently. Um, CTG was enacted by us, although that was taken away when it moved into PRODA and HPOS and now we can't actually fix an Indigenous patient's problem because it's been digitalised and bureaucratised out of our control. But pharmacy is absolutely front and centre delivering savings to patients. The whole PBS is savings to patients and we run it. Nobody understands it beyond pharmacists. But there is this complete lack of understanding from community, from patients who don't use pharmacy services, from bureaucrats and from politicians as to what pharmacy does. It is not lick and stick. It is not just type a label. Um, but everything that we do requires a strong, viable dispensary. None of the things that we've been talking about, none of the reinvestment lie that the government's been going on about, none of those extra services are viable in a standalone capacity. Otherwise, we would have seen independent pharmacies set up vaccination clinics. Um, we would see pharmacies running private methadone clinics. There are a couple of those, but generally they're in a in a unique environment, like in a um, uh, associated with <laughs> associated with a, a drug and alcohol private drug and alcohol clinic. Um, if if those services were fully standalone viable then they would exist. They don't. They exist in a pharmacy environment because it's professional, because it's healthcare oriented, and because there is this pool of support from PBS dispensing that um, allows those things to happen. That's going, guys. Get ready. Thank you. Thank you for the outreach. I always enjoy talking, but otherwise, Brilliant. talk soon. Talk soon. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast and send us a message.